0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Open your Bibles this morning. We're going to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We began this series last Sunday. And as you know our custom is we generally will go through the new testament a book in the new testament and then back to the old testament we go back and forth and over the years i know that you have grown i have grown in being able to see how the word of god fits together and it's really the only way this is accomplished is not by just topical message here there and all over the place that never comes together But when we take the word of God and we say, open your Bibles, we're intentional about something, and that is we have gathered to hear what has God said to us. What does it mean? What does he intend? What did the original author inspired by the spirit of God intend with that writing, that passage, that book, and then how do we obey it? That's what the people of God say. How do I put this into practice? How do I apply this in my life? How do we apply it in our lives? In this passage we're gonna see, and in this book, God is sovereign over all, we just sang that song. And so when people pray, God responds, but he's sovereign over people praying in his response. The New Testament is filled with God's responding to the prayers of his people and so is the Old Testament. The work of God always moves forward Pi, the people of God praying, seeking God's face, not just his hand, and God responding, showing up, doing what he intended to do all along. How do we work this out? God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Well, the reality is we are in great need and god is the one who supplies we pray because he's worthy we admit that we are needy god supplies our need we get the grace he gets the glory you good with that we get the grace all the glory to him we exist to glorify god our times of prayer have been simple Worship-based and glorious. When men gather to pray, I'm never going to forget our gathering a month ago as men. That's imprinted on my life. I cherish that as one of the highlights of my time in ministry is gathering with other men to pray. When we gather in small groups and we pray together, sometimes we separate men and praying with men, ladies with ladies. I treasure those times. I cherish those times because it's a reality that I'm not alone. I'm not walking through, I don't have to have all the answers for marriage or parenting when I'm walking together with a group of other believers. It's intentional and it's not just leftover, it's intentional and I need that and I believe that you need that as well. What does the Bible say about prayer? Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, "'Do not be anxious about anything, "'but in everything by prayer and supplication.'" Okay, remember that word. It's going to come back later in the message. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Supplication, petition, requests. Ephesians 6, 17, Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, don't be like the disciples in the garden. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of your friends. No, all the saints, all of them, that we're praying for one another. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the invitation is given through the writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Here's the difference. Yet without sin. Okay, that's what separates Jesus from every priest that ever served in Israel. They all had to atone for their own sins. Jesus was one without sin. He was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet without sin, verse 16. So what does that do for the people of God? It opens wide the door. Here's the invitation. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you find yourself there today in a time of need? Where do you go in a time of need? The door of heaven is thrown open wide through Jesus, our great high priest. And what does Jesus say, Luke 18, 1? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. How do we not lose heart? Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Pray. And who here is praying always without ceasing? I have to put my hand down. Okay, but I'm invited and I know I'm invited and I'm reminded by the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God, go to the presence of God. Go to the presence of God. Don't live like a practical atheist believing I can do it all on my own and I don't need to pray and I don't need to spend time with God or his people. Our distinctive, our third distinctive, believing in the power of God, we pray. Believing in the power of God, we are devoted to praying boldly without ceasing. Notice that we do not believe in the power of prayer because there's a lot of people that pray. I've been to India. They're praying all over that nation. It matters who is on the other side of that prayer. Believing in the power of God, we pray boldly without ceasing. So to go back to Nehemiah, 500 years before Jesus came to earth, Jerusalem, the holy city, was completely in shambles. Temple rebuilt, people not living in the city. Just picture a modern, burned out city. Blight-filled, ruined city, walls broken down, gates are burned with fire. Everywhere that you look, you look around and you see, we were defeated, we were defeated, we were defeated, we were were destroyed, we lost, we lost so much. At the dedication of the temple, now it's been rebuilt. But when they rebuilt and dedicated the temple under Zerubbabel, some years before Nehemiah, after they came back, The young people were cheering and praising God. This is wonderful. We finally have a place to worship. And all of the older Israelites who had seen the first temple, they were weeping. And Ezra says you couldn't even tell the difference between the weeping and the crying because the older generation saw where they had fallen and what they had lost. The younger generation was simply thankful to have a place to worship. And those two sounds mixed. So by the time Nehemiah comes, the city is reduced. The temple's reduced. It's not like Solomon's temple anymore. There's a lesser, but there's an emphasis here on the spiritual, on the heart. And God is doing a work as he is always doing a work. And he's preparing for the gospel to go global and to not command people, make a, make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem and the message that's coming out of Jerusalem is to be carried by the, the disciples, by the church into all the earth, to all peoples. It's going out. It's a go tell, no longer a come see. And this is where we pick up the account here in Nehemiah. We're going to begin with verse 4, where we ended last Sunday. It's a kind of a transition, a handoff. Nehemiah received this awful news from home. It's a crisis. And as soon as I heard these words, verse 4 says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But... If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This is the word of God this morning, four ingredients. Four ingredients of powerful prayer. If we're going to be people who truly pray, we believe in the power of God and we pray boldly without ceasing, then here's what we see from Nehemiah's prayer. There's four ingredients. There's four components here. Nehemiah was completely wrecked by this news. He was completely undone. And we see his response. His prayer is worship-based and it's scripture-fed. Where do you think that the prayer would begin when you hear tragedy? Often, if we're honest, our prayers begin with, Lord, there's a tragedy and and we need your help. Uh, I'm running a little short in my finances. Lord, there's a sickness. Lord, there's an illness. Lord, there's a need. And that is immediately what we go to we need to stop, have a time out, gather around the word and say, how did Nehemiah respond to this disaster? Ingredient number one, reverence. Reverence. We see this example in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in patterns of prayer. This is helpful to us as God's people that Nehemiah first stops hearing this news and in his prayer, he looks up to God. This is where we find adoration. This is where he begins is with worship, is with adoring God. It's giving the praise and the honor and the glory to the one who is worthy. It's a recalibration of his heart, mind, and life. And we need this, loved ones. He looks up to God. He begins with adoration. He begins his prayer with the reality of God's character that God is worthy, that God is worthy, that we are needy, and he is worthy. So from Nehemiah's prayer, who is this God? And he opens it up, he sits down, he weeps, he's fasting before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, well, we know who he's talking to. We know where his prayer is going to. It's not going to an idol, and there are many in the, in the land of Persia. They're all over the place. But he's not looking down to an idol. He's not looking up on a shelf. He's not looking to ancestors. He's looking and praying to the God of heaven. Oh, Yahweh, Jehovah, God of heaven. What does that mean? Everything is under God. I'm looking up to you because everything is beneath you. Everything is under you. And so I'm starting there. He pours out his worship. He's the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And that's where Nehemiah begins his prayer. He fixes his gaze on the Lord. Well, what is this God like? He continues, he is the great and awesome God the word there awesome and the root is where we get uh yare it's it's fear it's it's worthy of oh, that's amazing i mean every now and then you know there there are certain events there's scenery there's landscapes and you stop and you look at it and you're like oh and it takes your breath away you just can't believe what you're taking in you have to see that again because it's just Who can do that? That's amazing. There's no one like this God. Psalm 3510, all my bones, the psalmist says, shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Psalm 7119, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Psalm 113, 5. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Can you hear the men of grace singing that song? Who is like the Lord, right? That's right out of the Psalms. Who is like this God? Who will you compare this God to? You can't, he can't be comparable. He's incomparable. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah? This is not going to come on the screen. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm gonna begin in verse nine. This is where, interesting about the book of Isaiah, the 66, there's 66 uh, chapters in the book. How many books are there in the Bible, 66? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Well, here we are at chapter 40, and at the entrance of chapter 40, it's a a scene shift, it's a change. It's like the mood changes, the light changes. And what, what do you hear in the outset? Comfort. What do we find in the New Testament after these 400 years of silence and prepare you the way of the Lord as comfort to my people? Who is coming that is the comforter and the Prince of Peace? It's Jesus. All right, so in this comfort, this comfort that comes from the Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this whole chapter. I can't, I can't cut it out. I can't separate it because that's why you have your Bible there in front of you or your app or however you are following along in the word of God. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV. I don't say that often, but that helps sometimes people uh, track along with the words. Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You hear that? It's enough. Okay, think of Nehemiah's prayer. And think of the word that has come through Isaiah. Scripture is filling his prayers. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades with the breath of the Lord when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand. How long, loved ones? Forever. That's why we gather under the word of the Lord. That's why my job is not to entertain you with jokes or stories and hope that I can keep you awake and entertain you. It won't. There's a famine in our land for the word of the Lord, and this is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking. Go on up to a high mountain, verse nine. O Zion, that's another word for Jerusalem, and gently lead those that are with young. See the tenderness there? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel, All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Remember that verse, Isaiah 40, 23. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brought out their host by number, calling them, speaking of the stars, all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right. Is disregarded by my god have you not known have you not heard the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the ends of the earth he does not grow faint or weary his understanding is unsearchable now, now think about this as we go into verse 29, you, you hear the chasm that is between God and creation? Does it almost bring you to a point of so he doesn't care about us? He's so powerful and the nations are dust, are drops in his bucket and we're just, then what hope do we have against this great and awesome God? Well, here's the invitation. Verse 29 faint. Is this the God that you worship? Because the invitation is open and available to everyone. This great and awesome God has made himself available and near to you and to me. Oh, praise the Lord. God is worthy. This is a very God-centered prayer that Nehemiah is praying we also see that God is faithful. He's faithful. What, what did he do? How does he relate to his people? When Nehemiah continues, he's the one who keeps covenant. The great and awesome God who keeps covenant. He entered into a covenant with his people. Throughout the Old Testament, he, he enters, he puts himself on the line in covenant relationship. He's the covenant-keeping God. His word is true. He is trustworthy. Every promise, every prophecy either has come true, is coming true, or will come true. He is faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. It's his character. He is faithful. He is true. He cannot lie. He's the only relationship that we can totally trust and never lose. Every other relationship that we have we will let them down, they will let us down, and ultimately we will say goodbye to them. Everyone. Every single one. God is faithful. We also see that God is gracious from Nehemiah's prayer. How does he deal with his people when they completely mess up, go astray, and break covenant? And they did, and we do. How does he deal with them then? this this great and awesome God that nations are a drop, nations are dust. I have all the water just in the palm of my hand. I measure the galaxies with, yep, that's about that big. And how does he relate to us when we completely blow it? And we sin again, and we fail again, and we're back in prayer again, Lord. Here I am again. How does he relate to us? He's gracious. He's the one who keeps, and the Hebrew word is hesed. Probably a lot more in there, should be, okay? Hesed, it's steadfast love. It's not a love that is, here it is, and I'm waiting to see how you respond. This is the love that God intends for marriage, This is Christ's love for his church. This is God's love for you. If you are in Christ, you've turned from your sins. His love is a commitment that is undying, unflinching, unwavering, unfading. He will not walk away from his covenant. He holds on to us. That is why it gets the term reckless. Are you kidding me? Do you know how my heart is just prone to wander? but he holds me, he pursues me, he keeps me. And if you're in Christ, he keeps you. He's merciful, he's loyal. This is a loyal, steadfast love that God has for his people. Paul would write in Romans 8, 28. Many of you know this verse. I wanna highlight a part of this verse. Romans 8, 28, it'll come on the screen. And we know that for those who... Now, what's the qualifier here? Okay, loved ones, do not forget this. This is not a card. This isn't just an empty check given to anybody who's human. Oh, everything works together. Don't ever say that to someone who doesn't know Christ and they're going through trials and you know this verse. Uh, let's put that with the verse, you know, from 1 Corinthians 10 that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not what that verse says. It's not what it means. The guy who wrote that verse, Paul, they chopped his head off. That was more than he could physically handle and he's in the presence of the Lord. So that's not what that verse means. It's talking about temptation. God will not give us temptation that we cannot through a way of escape, stand up under temptation. We can't ever look at God and say, oh, I just had to sin. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. I chose to, and he's faithful and merciful. So Paul says to those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are the called according to his purpose. That is a huge description of a believer, is that they love God. They love God. Nehemiah loved God. I don't know, those people, they they love God. That's what they know. And so we are the ones who love him, and that's what Nehemiah is praying, Lord, to those who love you, to all who keep your commandments. Nehemiah is offering a prayer that is fed and directed by the word of God. Exodus 20, verse six. No doubt, this is in his mind. But showing steadfast love, there's that word again, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments love me, and those who love him do what? They keep my word, they keep my commandments. That, that goes together, you can't separate those. You know, and then other people, oh, I, I prayed a prayer, I'm a Christian, do you have any desire to obey his word? No, hmm, problem, problem. Deuteronomy 5.10, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You hear this ringing in Nehemiah's prayer? It's scripture-fed. John 14 and verse 15. So now the Israelites in Jesus' day, they hear Jesus speaking. And don't be confused for one second. They knew what he was saying and they knew where he was getting it, except he changed some pronouns. He made it personal, John 14, 15. If you love, and he doesn't say Yahweh, keep his commandments. He says, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. Hmm, didn't we read something about Isaiah 40 and a shepherd coming? John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments. Wait a second. I thought that was the command through Moses. I thought this was God's commandment and Jesus saying it's my commandments. So much for all the false religions that say Jesus never claimed to be God. What you needed him to step step forward and just say, I am God. Uh, He raised people from the dead. He spoke and demons fled without contest. He calmed the storms. He fed people with just a little bit of food and crumbs and fish, and he fed 5,000. He raised people from the dead. He healed the sick. He touched lepers, and they were clean instead of him becoming defiled with leprosy. That is what God does. And then he speaks in language that is clear. And the Jewish countrymen took up stones to kill him for blasphemy. And he just walked through the middle today's not the day i'm gonna die that's not how i'm gonna die i'll lay down my life whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who, now listen to this. Okay, so if, for, if someone is hearing this saying, you know, Pastor Wise, he's just always up there. He's like, you need to love God and you need to fear God and you need to obey God. And I'm just, I'm just so tired of hearing that. I wanna fear me. I wanna love me. I wanna do my life. I think I just need to have more self-esteem and more self-respect and fulfill more of my dreams. Yeah, that'll end up in hell. To just be clear. Listen to what Jesus makes available to all who love him and keep his commandments. He says, listen, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know what you get with Jesus? The Godhead, the everlasting arms of strength under you. All the resources of God, he says, they're available because the father loves me and I love you. And if you love me, the loudest way, the largest way that we're gonna know, how do I know that I love God? Do you hunger for his word and desire to obey his word at all costs? Let the Holy Spirit help you in evaluating that. We also see that God is good. God is good so nehemiah is saying let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that now i pray before you day and night for the people of israel your servants do you realize what he's saying he's telling the god of heaven the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything will you please stoop down and hear my prayer Okay, this is what a grandfather does. And the little toddler comes waddling in, staggering, barely able to stand, and looks up and says, Papa. <laughs> and the grandfather doesn't have to have a coaching lesson on this. And, you know, shouldn't have to have a coaching lesson. On this. But what does what? Stoops down. What? Come here, come here. Let me bring you up by my ear. What are you saying? Let me hold you. This is what Nehemiah is praying to this God. You're my God. And I'm asking you to bow down your ear and hear my prayer. I'm your servant. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm praying for your servants. We're in a relationship. And I adore you. And I need you and I worship you. He prays this twice in this prayer. It comes up again in verse 11. Lord, pay attention to the problem at hand. He's not saying, Lord, you don't know what's going on and I need to inform you. This is when the little baby reaches up and grabs the hand of their parent or their their grandparent and says, come on, come on, I want to show you. Come, come, I want to show you. I want you to look at this, look at this. I can't do anything about this. You have to deal with this. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? We were either that kid. And sadly, maybe we've been the parent, like, not now, I'm busy. Go, go, go play. Here, 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 watch this. Let me tell you something. God never does that. He's never too busy. He never needs us to just be distracted. Go watch another movie, another go ahead and binge watch another something. I'm too busy, I don't have time for you. That's not not our God. Nehemiah says, I'm your servant. Ah, excuse me. He's in the king's palace. If you're in the king's palace, don't you belong to the king? He works for the king, he's owned by the king, he's a slave to the king. And he's telling God, the God of heaven, I'm your servant. He's got his perspective right, loved ones. I'm praying for, and I'm praying about your servants, your people, Israel, we're in trouble here, Lord. Secondly, after Nehemiah looks up in reverence, after we see God for who he is and all his splendor and glory, then our natural response is, whoa, I'm in trouble. I'm not like that God, and this leads us to repentance. When when I look into scripture and I see this God and I read Isaiah 40 and I realize I'm not like that. I run out of energy quickly. I don't have the strength that I used to have. I'm not like him. I'm not holy in all of my thoughts and attitudes and actions. I'm not always patient and kind and loving. And bold? No. Oh. This brings us to look down in humility, and this is where we enter into confession. This is what Scripture brings about in us, loved ones, if we, if we stay at the book. Now, Nehemiah begins with a corporate confession. He starts out with We. All right, we have sinned. Notice he doesn't start with they. They have sinned. That's where we like to go, right? It's that other political party, sinners. It's those other, those people, them, they, Lord, they. Deal with them. Nehemiah begins with, Lord, we have sinned against you. That's our biggest problem. We have sinned against you. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against you. And then he makes it more personal, and he's actually then saying, it's actually I have sinned. Oh, in my father's house. It's our family. This is a personal confession. So in in the church, we have a corporate confession that as a church, we, we don't keep all of God's ways like we should, but then it comes down to personal relationships with God that, that we are seeking God individually and corporately. And He's placed us in a body of believers that we are encouraged and we're reminded of what is true and what is pure and what is lasting. And He says, It's I and my Father's house. We're, of, we're part of this problem here. It's not just them. Oh, it's easy to blame others for failures in society. Blame others for problems in a church. Well, it's them, it's them. In the family, I wouldn't know anything about this. Blaming others for things going wrong in the house. Okay, I lied again. Repentance, good thing we're in this section right here. He details the sins that needed to be confessed and forsaken. He says this, we have acted very corruptly against you. Doesn't that sound like David in Psalm 51? Don't you you think he has the psalmist in his mind here removed from that kingdom by quite a few years? But he remembers Psalm 51 when David sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had Uriah, her husband, put to the front of the battle and left alone to die. And then he thought he covered it all up. And then Nathan comes and says, you're the guy. And he goes in prayer and says, "It's, it's you, Lord. You're the greatest one offended by my sin. If I get that right, then I can make it right with Bathsheba and others. If I don't get that right vertically, horizontally, I'll never be right. And that's true for you and for me, loved ones. He says, we have not kept your commandments. We haven't kept your statutes. We haven't kept your rules. Do you like to be told what to do? Doesn't that just hit about all of us? Like, don't tell me what to do. Where does that come from? It it preaches to you. It preaches to me. It reminds us, you're a sinner. You love you. You're rebellious. You don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to... Do this, do that. Unless I understand authority and I'm under God's protection, that's the safest place to be. And I recognize it's dangerous to be out on your own doing whatever you want to do. That doesn't end well. So God has given us homes and churches and governments for the purpose of raising up self-governing individuals under God not for me to make my daughters exactly like me. But what does God have for them? Strive to that. Church members, what does God have for you? It's not not what, what I want for you, unless what I want for you is what God wants for you. But I'm not the one to tell you that. I just have to open the word, and God, by his spirit, takes his word and shows you, here's the person I want you to be. And I'll give you my spirit to accomplish that. Philippians 1.6. You gave us your word through Moses. Well, who's Moses? The servant of the Lord. And what did Nehemiah say? We ignored it. We rejected him. We rejected you. The word of God was commanded through Moses. It wasn't suggested. And that's where we find ourselves today. Just give us suggestions of what we are supposed to do. Just give a, you know, so many pulpits filled with, just give us a positive message to make us feel good. It doesn't last, and it doesn't work. How about we look at who God is, we're reminded of who we are, and let's get to the good part of what he's done to bring us into a right relationship with him. That leads to worship. That leads to point three, ingredient three powerful prayer, not just reverence or repentance, but also then into remembrance. This is where we look back at God's faithfulness. We look at God's faithfulness in the word of God. We look at God's faithfulness in our own lives. We look at God's faithfulness in in his church. We're coming to 60 years. It's all God's faithfulness. He's been so faithful. He's been so good. And so here we enter into thanksgiving We remember God keeps his promises. Whatever he has said that he will do, he will in fact do. So we can trust him with the future. It gives us the perspective that Nehemiah needed and we need when everything looks chaotic and disheveled and a mess and no hope around us. Oh, but God, you're faithful. And you reign over all people, all times, all places, and you've seen this, and you've seen civilizations rise and civilizations fall. And you've seen people come, and you've seen people go, and you are still right where you've always been, on your throne, and working out your glorious plan of redemption. Listen to what John Piper says about prayers that are are just filled with Scripture. He says, I have seen that those whose prayers are most saturated with Scripture are generally most fervent and most effective in prayer. And where the mind isn't brimming with the Bible, the heart is not generally brimming with prayer. Just think about that. If you and I are not filling our minds and hearts and lives with Scripture, then when we pray, we have nothing to draw on except what did I read? What did I scroll through? What am I thinking about? What am I feeling? And that's where our prayer starts from the here and now falling apart. But when we displace all of that with the word of God, it changes us and it actually instructs and informs and infuses our prayers with that which is supernatural. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's simply pulling back from the word of God and he's putting it up to God. And he's saying, God, remember. Oh, I know we've forgotten. But remember your word, Lord. Daniel Henderson in in this book that is still around if you haven't picked one up, all right? He says this, he says, because God's word is such a limitless treasure of truth with countless applications to the human heart. We never run out of material. Inevitably, the Holy Spirit weaves these passages together in a cohesive way to direct us into specific themes of prayer. Very often, one single passage grips the heart of an individual and becomes the basis of personal meditation, and listen to this now, an eventual life-changing response. It's just taking his word, meditating on his word, and then praying his word. That's what Nehemiah is doing. So in remembrance, he's saying, you warned against rebellion. You warned us. You said, don't do this. You warned us against rebellion. And we disobeyed. God sent Moses, his servant, to deliver, to li- deliver Israel from slavery. God defeated Pharaoh, rescued his people from bondage in Egypt. God gave them victory over Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. He graciously met them there on Mount Sinai and gave to Israel his commandments. Why? Because he's trying to control me. No, no. If you're going to have the God, the God who sees everything, knows everything, and has the power to do whatever he wants to do, if he's going to live in relationship with you, you're going to have to know what are the rules here. If you work as an electrician, you have to know the rules of electricity. You can't just wander in with metal tools, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Not gonna go well. Look at the light bulb over there, that's not a light bulb. That's the new guy, he didn't need any rules. Whoa, not smelling good, not good. You have to know the rules, the properties. Don't you hope the people that mix your medication know the rules and the properties? I don't know, here's some white powder and there's some white powder. It looked all the same to me. No, you, you, you you need to know, if you're gonna have the God who is over everything and he's gonna be your neighbor, you're gonna need to know what's expected of me. And the Lord didn't give them a, you know, just in the dark, wandering through, nope, not that, you're dead. Nope, not that. You're not, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. What am I supposed to do? You he say, here. D- this is it. These are my ways. Walk in my ways, and I'll be with you. And what did they do? They started looking around at all the, look at these nations that we just conquered. Hey, look at this little, they got a wooden idol over here. Hey, pick that up. Take that home. Look at this stone idol. Take that home. That's really nice. Ooh, look at this one. Silver, gold. Take those home. And they took them home, and they, they put them in their tent and buried them. As if the Lord is like, what are you doing? That thing couldn't even follow you home like a little pet. You had to carry it in your pocket, in your coat, get it home. It doesn't move on its own. You have to move it. You have to supply it. Oop, it fell over. Put it back up. And you're turning your back on the God who speaks, and galaxies come out of his mouth. Israel, what are you doing? That's what Nehemiah is praying. We remember who you are. We remember that you delivered us. We remember that you told us through Moses what we read last week, Deuteronomy twenty-eight, fifteen. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I commanded you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Twenty-eight, fifty-two. they shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you have trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord, your God has given you. Moses told them, this is what will happen to you. He's given you this land. And if you turn your back on him and forget him, he will take it all away and he will shred it all. And they did, and God graciously, lovingly, justly punished them. But the Lord promised a plan for redemption. It doesn't just stay in his judgment, he's unfolding his plan for restoration. There's a reality, we're gonna return, we're not always gonna stay here. And here we see the covenant promises to Israel, the heart and the character of God for us. Here, I'm not gonna take the time to read it, but 2 Chronicles 7, where Solomon dedicates the temple and what he prays is he prays all of this and this is no doubt echoing in Nehemiah's mind when he said, I remember Solomon prayed that when we get displaced, we need to turn our attention back toward you and you will hear from heaven and you will forgive our sin and you will heal our land. If God's people would humble themselves before the Lord, pray and seek his face, turn away from their sin, then that's what he would do. Notice now, I know we like to share that verse, but that verse was to Israel. There's a context if my people, it's God through Moses to Israel. If my people, it's not for any other nation. It was written to a specific people, but it shows us the character of God. It shows us the principles of God. It shows us his heart for his people. So it's helpful to us. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Deuteronomy 30 is another passage that is very, very similar God's plan for restoration and then Nehemiah says and you redeemed a remnant you redeemed a remnant and I'm thankful for this and I'm reminding myself of your word and your faithfulness and your promises yes we rebelled but Lord you made a way for restoration and it's it's already beginning to unfold there's already been one delegation that's gone back but the land is in ruins and so nehemiah is coming to the table saying lord you said you would restore us and you've already redeemed a remnant and you have redeemed us out of egypt and you have redeemed some people back in the homeland and you are going to redeem others and you're gonna one day send a redeemer and he's coming through that city that city can't stay in ruins Reverence, repentance, remembrance, and last of all, we're brought to requests. To requests that we see the needs all around us. We see the needs in us. We're honest about them. We bring them to God. And this is where we come back to that word, supplication. Supplication, petitions before the Lord. This is where we bring our requests. And here Nehemiah is saying again, listen closely to my prayer, Lord. Pay attention. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. He's asking God again. He's saying, it's not because God forgot. He's, he knows the Lord, the Lord didn't forget. He's saying it again. He's asking again. He's pleading with the Lord. Listen closely to my prayer. And then he's saying, let's don't just stay here with listening and talking. Lord, I'm asking you to act powerfully on my behalf. He says, will you give success to your servant today? And will you grant him mercy in the sight of this man? Now there he's talking about Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, the king of the world. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. See, here's the deal. Nehemiah knew who Yahweh was. The Lord is the only one who ultimately grants success and mercy. Success. This is the word with forced entry. This is when nobody opens the door, take the ram to it, we're going in now. And when Nehemiah is praying, he's saying, We're not going to just stay talking about this, Lord. I'm asking you to grant success and make a way where there seems to be no way. You've torn walls down in the past. These walls need to be built around Jerusalem. I've seen what you've done and I'm asking you to do it again and make a way. And grant mercy. This is undeserved, compassionate action. He's not saying we deserve this, we demand this. He's saying we're your servants come fight for us, come make a way. Nehemiah knew who Yahweh was, he knew who his God was. Nehemiah knew who Artaxerxes was. Now think about this, loved ones, he was the king. He was the king of the world. But at the end of the day, he says, Lord, about this man. Did you you catch that when we read that? This man, what man? The king. He's but a man. Pharaoh, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, Artaxerxes, Napoleon, Julius Caesar, Pilate, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein, Fidel Castro, Kim Jong, Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Donald Trump, and Joseph Biden, every other leader, president, governor, queen, king, mayor, servant, You and me, you know what we are at the end of the day? Human beings, but men and women. We are born and all of those individuals came into the world with nothing. And they all left with how much? Nothing. So Nehemiah's perspective is right. listen to me, loved ones, we need this perspective. Because when we are caught in the political fray of our day, we're tempted to think that somebody can come and deliver, and we are praying our prayer, God, bless it. Instead of our Father who art in heaven, here's our top number one priority prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that instructing to our instructive to our prayers? Do our prayers match? This is what Nehemiah is saying. He's just a man, Lord. So you think he walked in and was disrespectful to him? Oh no. He would, this made him the best right-hand man a king could ever have is because he had the perspective right. God is the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He's overall, he reigns over all, and he reigns over Artaxerxes, and he's put me in this place for a reason, but he is still at the end of the day as just a man. And then he takes this, I'm, I'm like Joseph in the land. I'm, I'm the king's chief of staff. I eat with him, I'm next to him, nothing gets to him that it doesn't go through me. And he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Think if we had Instagram and this guy today, you know, and normal people be like, here I am, here I am, to get my pictures, good angle. Look, you knew who I am. That would have been the first thing. Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, was in the palace doing what he did. Instead, he tucks it in at the very end. Why? It's not so much to tell us who he is. It is to tell us about his God that has him placed for such a time as this, just like Esther. I'm here for a reason. And Lord, I'm just a man and he's just a man. So I'm not praying to him, I'm praying to you. My hope, my trust, my future, our future, Israel's future, redemptive future, is in your hand, and I can pray with confidence, and you will knock down the walls, and you will break through the doors, and you will shine the light in the darkness, and only God can do that, loved ones. But He doesn't do it apart from prayer. So may we be people who believe in the power of God, who pray fervently without ceasing. Four ingredients. Reverence, repentance, remembrance, requests. What is this? Same thing I taught probably 15, 16 years ago on Wednesday nights, prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, Acts. There's no magic in the order of our prayers, loved ones. I kind of like to start with Thanksgiving. I'm a rebel. Okay, (laughs) whatever. But just let scripture inform our prayers. And as you read through scriptures and prayers, Daniel, Paul's prayers, you're gonna see this pattern. We're gonna talk about this in small groups. You're gonna see these patterns where it's first of all, let's get our perspective right of who God is and his glory and who we are. Oh, man. And how do we respond and how do we move out? So how, here's some questions. How do I express my heart, my passion for the work of the Lord? How do you express your heart, your passion for the work of the Lord right now? We see Nehemiah's passion, his heart for God's glory, his obedience. What does Nehemiah's prayer reveal about his relationship to God? What do we learn from this man? What does his prayer tell us about his relationship with God? And then we're just taking and apply it. What what element? What elements do I need to take from Nehemiah and begin to put that into my prayer life and adopt that and say, God, help me to grow in my life of prayer. If you've never come by faith and trusted in Jesus, then the first prayer, the prayer he will hear is, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. And that's the person the Lord can save. He can't save the person that says, I don't need it. I'll do it myself. But the person who comes with a contrite heart, salvation is yours in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's stand together. Father, you are the God overall. And you are so good. And we have disobeyed. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, but you, Lord, are rich in mercy and in grace. And you demonstrated this love, that while we were yet sinners, Lord Jesus Christ, you came and died for sinners. We understand the wages of sin is death, Lord, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, I can freely and boldly offer salvation in Christ. We can be called as your people, Lord, to prayer, to seeking you, to trusting you, to growing in you. And when we come to this place and we live in a right relationship with you, it will affect our lives with others. It will put us on mission in the work of God for the rest of our days. And that will echo throughout all of eternity for the glory of the Lamb who suffered for sinners, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.